What's up, everyone? How's it going? Anthony Ramirez here. Welcome to another episode of Academics and Amigos. This week, we have a very special guest, my friend, Dr. Ana Gomez Barga, and she's a PhD uh, professor at uh, Nazareth College in New York, and she's doing some really, really cool research that um, you're going to hear about in this episode, including research on telenovelas. Let's check it out. I am here with my good friend, Ana Gomez Braga, right? And she's an uh, associate professor and PhD at Nazareth College. That's in New York, correct? That's in New York, but I wish I was an associate professor. I'm an assistant professor. Oh, so. asso- oh assistant professor. Okay, cool, cool, yes. cool. All right. Yep. Glad to get that right there. <laughs> I want to get that right <laughs> for sure. But um, you'll get there one day, though, Ana. I know it. I, I know. hope. You're, you're going to get there, and you're, you're already doing amazing things. And prior to the, this podcast, I was just mentioning how, like, proud I am of Ana because both of us went to school together at the University of Texas at El Paso. We uh, went, went, we both went to get our master's there and that's where we met each other. Yes. We were in the same classrooms. We were in the same classrooms and (laughs) all we would do all the time is just laugh. Like prior to the recording this episode, we were just joking around and laughing and it's like nothing changed. We hadn't seen each other and talked to each other in, in years really. Yeah. Um, we would text each other every once in a while, maybe send emails, but, um, but it's like, like, as soon as like we jumped onto this conversation, it's like nothing, like we didn't miss a beat. It was the same, like, like conversations and the same energy and vibes that we had, uh, like, like nothing ever changed. And that's, that's awesome to have that type of friendship <laughs> with, with such an amazing person. So Anna, with that being said, how are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Anthony. So I don't know who's listening because I know you're about to get very, very famous and I'm very proud of you for that. Um, And like you said, before we start recording, we were talking about how many people are listening to your podcast and everything. So just to paint a picture, I was always a troublemaker in every single one of the classrooms. And Anthony has always been the nice guy. So he would just laugh. And that's basically how our relationship works. I just said something very, 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 very troubling. And then he just laughs and he's like, but that's true, though. So, hi. Happy to be here. That is true, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we had, we had a lot of great times together. Um, and what I, what I thought was so cool, Anna, is that you already had that critical thinking. And I think that's why that you had that little pushback, you know, that yeah. it was that critical thinking that, that got you so far and, that, and, and made you into the person you are, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is needed within academia because I see that in my classes right now with some mm-hmm. of my colleagues and stuff and they have that like pushback attitude you know and yeah. and it's something I admire and I, like I told you too prior to the recording that we were I was saying like that's something I respect you know I think that that's really <laughs> cool because you know there's because sometimes when you read these articles like that we would read in class and stuff and it's like one sometimes they don't make sense let's be real let's be yeah. real. they don't make mm-hmm. sense and then two like some of their arguments are just like out there you know mm-hmm. like i hope i'm not offending anybody like like hey what about i'm like i'm not mentioning names i'm not mentioning names <laughs> okay i'm just saying you know um yeah and let's be real like all academics can agree with this like all academics are like I don't understand this. There's at least one <laughs> article that for my academics out there, there's at least one article that you're like, I have no idea what they're trying to say. Like, yep. let's be real. Let's be real. Yep. Um, but, but what I loved in our classes together, Anna, is that you would, you would find the argument and you, you and sometimes you'd agree with it. Or if you didn't agree with it, you'd be like, Nope, I don't agree with this. Nope. Like, let, <laughs> let's flip the script. And this, I think they should have talked about this and this. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> you know i'm like exactly yes and i'd but, be there but, like in the background <laughs> clapping for you i'm like you go girl but always after pointing out that he was poorly written <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, you know as soon as he said that i was thinking of dr avon mir's class yes and i, I remember that a couple of times. this is a poorly written article I'm like, yeah, it's true like it's, this is unnecessary too many words. You could have said something like you're trying to make something very simple, very complex just by complicating language. There's nothing complex about these arguments. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. But and yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I still think about that. And 
I try, I try not to use jargon within my writing. You know, sometimes <laughs> it's necessary and sometimes it's unnecessary, but I try to bring that as far back as possible because I'm the type of person that I would love for my research to be accessible to, right. to people. You know right. what I mean? And it's classes to an extent. And also, like, I think mm-hmm. it's a shame that in communication, mm-hmm. we don't think about the audience and we don't think about reaching a broader audience with what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to give you an example, because you just reminded me at the beginning of this year I was teaching, as you know, representation in media. Yeah. And I started that class because, I mean, the entire thing is about capitalism and how problematic it is that we are profiting off of, I don't know, violent images. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all these brutality against black and brown bodies for the most mm-hmm. part. Right. So anyway, I keep thinking like, how can I start this class in a way that from day one, you know what you're into so that if you don't like it, you're out, right? Mm-hmm. So I always start with this chapter by um, a Mexican um, philosopher that I love, and she's actually a personal friend of mine, Sayag Valencia. And she wrote this book called uh, Gore Capitalism, Capitalismo Gore. Mm-hmm. And she talks about, like, she gives you exact words to describe what we are seeing in the media, like all of this spectacle the outrageous language, the images, the overexposure, all of those things. But she gives you specific words, but she's so difficult to read. Oh. Like it takes you a year to go through one chapter, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't care. Like this is, this is a good exercise and this is valuable. So I'm just going to assign the chapter. And then I told my students, you know, here's the thing. We're going to divide the chapter in three parts. <laughs> so like it's not just one chapter as opposed to like two chapters per week. One. Mm-hmm. Then break it into three parts. Then let's break the room into three teams because I this is how difficult the chapter is so they come back next week and they're like I didn't understand a thing I'm so stupid I cannot believe that this was written in English because I couldn't understand a word that she was like first of all what you read is a translation Mm -hmm. (laughs) what that means is that it was actually more digestible (laughs) than it is in Spanish Uh But second of all, there are important concepts. So why don't we go through that, right? And then to my, I mean, I didn't know that I had a philosophy major in that class. Mm-hmm. So he's partly offended. And he's like, um, well, um, can I say something? I'm like, yeah, please go ahead. And he's like, okay, so philosophy, it's about problematizing and engaging with these complex things. And yes, I know that we sometimes we don't always communicate in a very efficient way. And I'm like, Why? <laughs> his face like what do you mean why no yeah i'm genuinely like why (laughs) like i just want to know why you don't communicate in a way that's more efficient if you are aware Mm -hmm. that the way you're communicating is not efficient just curious he had no response for me wow but that's a really good point though because when we go to conferences and or like things where a bunch of academics are together i feel like there's this game of that that we play sometimes either awarely or unawarely uh, are those words uh, anyways um okay so we we play them while we're aware or unaware and it's it's kind of like a game of one-upping each other like okay let's let's say who let's see who can use the fanciest terms and the most jargon possible mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's like it's not necessary it's, it's like not necessary. you know yeah. if if you can convey the message in a way that people can understand and still get your argument across or whatever you're trying to get across in your your research that's what should matter you know it's right. not like oh let's talk shakespearean let's talk uh let's drop as many uh jargony terms as possible no 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 right. no it's like it's not necessary let's just get this message across you know right. that's right. the simplest form of communication yeah So I guess the way in which I've been able to reconcile this entire situation is like, on the one hand, I get it Mm -hmm. that, for example, if you're a brown woman, Mm -hmm. you want to appropriate this language as a way to say, I can play your game. Yeah. And that can be kind of like a reaffirmation of who you are and your place in academia. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, Mm -hmm. I understand that aspect of it, too. Definitely. So I bring it back to purpose. Like, what is your individual purpose as a scholar, as a communicator, as someone who writes? Like, if your purpose is to send a message that you can play the game and beat the people in their own game, then by all means, go ahead. For me, for the work that I do, Mm -hmm. I have a different audience in mind. So for me, it's really about getting that message across to the broader audience possible. That's awesome. I love that. That's awesome. 
-hmm. that's a great way of thinking and it's true i think you're absolutely right with that there i'm doing it again i'm not like i'm just saying it's true like everything you're saying is true. <laughs> it, it, we're going back to day one See, nothing has changed nothing has changed between <laughs> between us like our relationship has mm -hmm. been consistent throughout these years <laughs> you're absolutely right though um speaking of your research let's talk about that a bit like yes i i remember your past research like with and i hope to talk about that a little bit later with telenovelas but mm -hmm. i want to know like what are you currently doing right now okay so right now i've been exploring this concept of allyship for the last two years probably mm, okay and it started when the whole campaign trump versus hillary went on right Mm -hmm. And so I started noticing how, because as you know, at the time I was a graduate student in Utah. Yes. And for those who have no idea of how Utah is, especially for people from um, different national origin or brown women or anything else, it's a very difficult place. It's hard to fit in, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, the message that you get every single day is that you're not from there and you need to prove yourself, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so that and grad school where you have to prove yourself every day. <laughs> so it was a very consistent narrative and that was difficult for me. So, but what, what was interesting is that it wasn't just the physical space where I was in, it was another element, like the political discourse when Donald Trump came and said something that Mexicans were such and such and such and such, mm -hmm. and I am Mexican, but like not Mexican American, like born and raised in yeah. Mexico, yeah. not a citizen of the United States to, the, to this day, right? So I knew, like, first of all, I panicked, mm -hmm. right? Because you're like, you don't know how people are going to interpret these words. Yeah. And I know that for me, every time I say hi, the next three words are going to come out with an accent. Mm -hmm. And I really don't want to tell you where I'm from because that's the follow-up question. Mm -hmm. As soon as people hear my accent, they're like, oh, you have an accent. Where are you from? And I just don't want to say Mexico right now because it makes me feel unsafe. Mm -hmm. But that was not interesting. That was expected. What was interesting is that all of the people who for the previous two years have had been very invested in, I don't know, saying that they were allies and advocates for minorities and everything else, started to engage in very, very problematic language. So just to give you an example, when this whole campaign started, um, they were saying that things like, okay, so first he was attacking Mexicans, then he was attacking women. And I was like, I'm both, <laughs> right? So it wasn't a thing of going like one thing after the other, but this intersection was completely missing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then things like, okay, so when the travel bans happened, right, in, immediately afterwards, um, they were talking about, okay, so if I get to say who gets into this country, why don't we exchange racists for refugees? I'm like, who told you that you can actually decide that? You're not engaging in critical thinking right now by saying that. You think you sound woke? You sound very problematic right now, mm, right? Mm. So I did my first what was um, for a women's protest that was happening in Washington immediately after he won. Mm. And so I look at the statistics and most women there were whites. And the statistics also show that most white women voted for Trump. So there was a discrepancy right there, right? Interesting. So I'm like, if you want to call somebody out, look at your group mm -hmm. and that's where you should be working mm -hmm. and those are the people that you should be talking to and that's the work that you should be doing but instead they were occupying the streets and they were out there trying to speak for women of color black women all of these things and you're like no this is not how it works you can use your position as a white woman and go to talk to other white women about these issues why they voted for trump if they're not blatantly racist, at the very least, they were not bothered by racism. Mm -hmm. So these are the kinds of things that I'm exploring. So the first one <clears throat> was problematizing um, women in the Women's March. The second one was problematizing um, all of these marches and protests that have been um, either against travel bans or um, the crisis at the border with the uh, concentration camps mm -hmm. and all of these things, right? And again, the narratives are still the same. People are still believing that somebody gets to say who stays and who doesn't stay when first of all, half of this country was stolen. And you're not talking about that history, right? Mm -hmm. You're not talking, like we're not all immigrants. Many of them were slaves. Mm -hmm. 
many of us were here before the sellers, right? Mm-hmm. So why are we not talking history? But it sounds good. It sounds like, oh, my parents were also immigrants. I'm okay with immigrants. I'm like, no, 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 no. Not everybody's an immigrant in this country. And there are other layers there that no one is talking about. Wow. So that was my second project. My third project that it's actually something that I'm still working on right now is okay. When you, because another issue that you hear oftentimes is that, well, but people are uneducated, right? If you know about history, if you're in academia, that's like the ivy tower of Mm -hmm. intellectualism, of knowledge, of everything else, then even my mom has told me this, like, I'm sure that you no longer have to deal with racism because of the social circle that surrounds you. And I'm like, you would be so surprised. Because <laughs> even then, with your colleagues, with senior administration, everything else, and I'm not saying in one particular college, all across the board at conferences, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just to give you an example, I was presenting my scholarship on the immigration protests in Hawaii. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just sitting there, like being on a panel talking about these issues and then seeing that most of us were either white or white passing Mm -hmm. and the people cleaning and serving were native Hawaiians. That's like, this is exactly what's happening, right? Like this is exactly what we're not talking about. And that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And academics like to think that, Oh no, I am so committed to making a change in this world. And yet give me another water, please. You know, without even giving a second thought. So I came back and I started uh, problematizing against this concept of allyship and everything else, because also what happens to you, and this is something that I read this morning, there is some sort of resentment when you make it, when you go through the struggles and you make it and you are expected to be the cleaning lady, or you are expected to be the nanny, or you're expected to be the gardener, all of a sudden your place in academia feels a little uncomfortable. And so there are certain things that happen. You're either welcome because you're speaking about the diversity commitment that universities have, right? Mm -hmm. But as soon as you are vocal about injustice and discrepancies and things, they're like, no, you cannot say that because mm, it doesn't look nice. And, you know, this is probably not the best meeting for that. We're going to talk about something else. So, for example, right now we are having all kinds of conversations about this pandemic, right? I have yet to see a meeting where we're talking about our decisions where people are like, okay, but there are different layers of marginalization too when it comes Mm -hmm. to this pandemic, even at the academic level. Mm -hmm. What about students who are marginalized? What about workers? What about single moms? What about all of these things? And Mm -hmm. what about I as a Latina, if I go to the doctor with this accent and with this skin, I will be very differently treated than anybody else. And we're not talking about it. I have to think three times if I really want to go to the doctor because I know that's going to be an experience and not a pleasant one sometimes. Mm -hmm. So we don't engage in these conversations, right? But then you go to your allies and the allies either don't think that that's a priority right now or they think they have it right. But by then they mean that it's okay for us to talk about it here in this office. Mm-hmm. but maybe don't bring it up to anybody else or let's bring it up to somebody else, but I will do the talking. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you're like, no, give me the microphone. I can speak for myself. They're like, mm, she's ungrateful. I wanted to be there for her. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very interesting dynamic. So for me, it's just the same kind of like rules everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. So i just keep expanding. I guess I came up with this idea of decolonizing allyship and I've just been testing it in different scenarios. I was about to say that I love how interconnected each of these like research projects are, mm-hmm. you know, that it's just, it, it just feels like it's a, it's like a staircase of, of one project to another. And I think that's so cool yeah. with how it, it just bridges together. Like, um, I don't know. That's really, really awesome. Anna. And I think that that work is necessary, especially okay. in the, in the current, current climate that we're in, not just yes. politically, but just in general. You know, that is necessary work because, you know, people do want to be allies. They do want to be supportive. But yet, like you mentioned, it's like, I'm just trying to help, you know, but yet it's still like, yeah, you know, it's it's okay. okay. And you know what I found? And this is something very, very, very problematic. Um, But interesting too, like the people who have the most resistance to this concept of decolonizing allyship are people who consider themselves woke. 
Mm, okay. And sometimes our people, so say you're going to the LGBTQ community, right? And I okay. say this as a member. You go there and people oftentimes don't want to engage with issues of racism in that community mm -hmm. and lesbian invisibility in that community, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And as soon as you point that out, they defend themselves by saying, oh, no, no, no. But I've also experienced marginalization. I get it. Mm -hmm. You're like, that's, I'm, not, I'm not questioning your experience. Yeah. I'm just giving you a different perspective. Why are you so defensive about that? Right. And in other aspects, say you're talking to white women, which is something that has been very consistent in the three projects that I've created so far. They're very defensive. Oh, wow. They love to call out sexism at meetings mm -hmm. in a classroom setting, in dynamics, right? They immediately go like, that's sexism. Men don't get to tell me what I do, what I say. They don't get to police me. But as soon as you're like, you're taking the floor and there are other experiences here that also need to be heard, mm -hmm. they get so defensive too. And they're like, but I understand. And you're like, no, you don't understand because just look at what happened yesterday or two days ago. Mm -hmm. A white woman still has more power than a black man mm -hmm. just in terms of how you decide to call the police and when. Mm -hmm. So I get that sexism is a thing. And, and I mean, I'm a hardcore feminist. You know this about me. Oh, definitely. But also intersectionality is important. Definitely. And some women are completely unwilling to engage with that privilege mm -hmm. especially and they had i think behind this idea that okay there is a patriarchy going on so i need to be pushing against the oppression that's working against me mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that you can meet, not be at the same time looking after how your privilege is oppressing somebody else i think definitely and during this whole conversation i was thinking of those concepts of like blindness that the, like there's color blindness i know there's um and what, what I mean by that is, like, people think, like, oh, um, you know, all races, let's see if I, I, I can do this correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But, um, so with people who are, quote, unquote, colorblind, it means, like, all races matter and, like, color isn't an issue. Like, I, like if we're, we're brown, it's no problem. Right. But if, if we're right, it's, uh, white, it's no problem. If, if you're whatever skin color, it's no problem, you know? Yeah, no, what I, well, through the literature, because I, I, I consider myself a decolonial feminist. Okay. And so decolonialism for me um, trains you to do two things. Number one, to identify the traces of colonialism. Mm -hmm. So me as a woman who grew up in Mexico, colonialism means that light skin is better. Mm -hmm. Colonialism means that having more money means that you are either mm -hmm. uh, a harder worker, I, someone mm -hmm. who works harder than somebody else mm -hmm. but it's classism too right mm -hmm. yeah um so. colonialism is this idea that there are only two genders right mm -hmm. because if we look at the native communities they had more <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. so colonialism is identifying all these traces right and number two once you identify them what are you going to do because every single person in this world who lives in this history of colonialism we all have internalized ideas mm -hmm. so this idea that I'm woke, it's non-existent. Mm -hmm. I, as a brown woman from Mexico who speaks Spanish and is also queer, I am sure I still have my own biases, say against or not against, but I'm not thinking about people with disability. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about people who are trans. Mm -hmm. I don't have to, right? So I have to force myself to think about those mm -hmm. issues and those struggles because they don't come natural to me. So it's ignorance. But I do have a responsibility because I... I benefit from the privileges that I have. I benefit from the fact that I can move without assistance. Yeah. I, yeah. So I have to constantly train myself to identify these issues because in the way I teach in my classrooms, I am potentially also marginalizing another person who doesn't fit the student that I have in my mind. Make mm -hmm. sense? Definitely. So that's, that's part of it. And number two, this conversation of all races, all lives matter, all of these mm -hmm. things for me is just a blatant refusal to let go of the microphone. Mm -hmm. You know, like if we say all lives matter, then I can continue to have the microphone and talk about my struggles because what do you mean I'm not important? Mm -hmm. But the question is, what if there's only one microphone and you've been talking for 2,000 years? Yeah. So, when, I mean, we cannot all be talking at the same time. So at what point are you going to shut up? <laughs> That's a good point. It's a really good point. Definitely. Like, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, ooh, that's deep. 
<laughs> I was like, it's like, where do I go with it from here? It's like, wow, no, I've been like, that's deep. That was really good. That was really good. Wow, that's like, like layered work. It really is. Yes, it's, it's, it's um, and it's messy and it's imperfect, and that's why I love it because I don't believe in perfection. So that's another thing about me. I mean, there's no such thing as a, a like a perfection. You know, like we can even if we publish an article, we're gonna later go back to it and like, ah, oh, I could have done this. I could have done that. You oh know? my god, yes. It's like there's there's it's it, you know there's no such thing as perfection within academia. You know, mm-hmm. and so um, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, one of the things that I was gonna discuss though, like one of the points you brought up was. trying to remember because you went over so many like fantastic points that I was just like like nobody can see this right now but I'm just like nodding the whole time (laughs) like she's saying things and I'm just like nodding the whole time just like she's right you wanted to talk about my research in telenovelas which is what I was doing before the allyship thing yes yes I I I definitely want to get to that in a bit um okay and I and I think that there's an interesting connection to what you're doing now and what when uh what you did then too and I think a lot of it has to do with like media representation because right now I'm doing like I'm working on my readings for my comprehensive exam Mm -hmm. right so a lot of the books I'm reading are about like popular culture representation identity and especially within the Latinx uh, community right Right. since I'm that's my focus my research and so one of the books that I read discusses exactly one of those points that you brought up about classism right Mm -hmm. that the whiter skin the the more chances you're going to have in life in comparison to those people who are like mestizo or darker skin that they're just going to be like maybe side side characters supporting characters or something to that extent Mm -hmm. they're not going to have the the their name in the spotlight and all that other stuff in comparison to maybe a lighter skin uh latina latino latinx you know Mm -hmm. and so a lot of these points that you're bringing up reminded me of that type of work and the media representation that, that comes into play too. And so I, I think that that has a lot to do with how people conceive, you know, um, a lot of the, the arguments that you're bringing up, you know, right. because what we see so many things, not only in media, but well, the news is media as well. Um, but, you know, throughout history, like you're yes. mentioning too. And I think that it's so deeply rooted within history, like you're mentioning, that it's just in a sad, sad way has become the norm. And that's what, as academics, we're trying to change that. We're trying to like show people like, no, 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 let's change this. Let's, right. let's fix this. And a lot of the stuff that you mentioned too just reminded me a lot about that. And I'm just like, huh, this is validating. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's so fascinating because I think, mm-hmm. I think most of us genuinely do want to change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. But my problem is that when we are not, <laughs> like when mm-hmm. we are part of the problem, we should be willing to allow ourselves to be called out, if that Definitely. makes sense. Definitely. And I think that's what's missing. So like I've been to an, a bunch of conferences by now and like it troubles me it troubles me that people who are raising these issues like it's yeah like classism in the media in comics and all of these things because just going back to my class and representation we had a week where we discussed black panther and oh. there is this amazing article that says that black panther is not the movie that the african-american community deserves Ooh. and the case that they make is that well ultimately they ended up killing um the character that comes from these struggle from the ghettos from all of these things who had legitimate reasons to to be angry about what happened to him because you were rooting for a black king Mm -hmm. and that's classism and so like he makes a way better argument than that because he explains it in detail but my students were like when they read the article they were like oh my god i never saw that and it is so true. So my issue with Black Panther, and this is coming from somebody who's not black, mm. but my whole issue is also its emphasis on the border mm. and closing the border and protecting mm-hmm. everything else, mm-hmm. right? This is, this, is, this is weird for me because I'm like, okay, so people from African descent have all this history of being displaced 
and being used in so many different ways and abused and all of these issues. This is, I mean, I, I agree. This is not the movie they would deserve or I, it's problematic, right? Yeah. Going back to our favorite work in academia. Um, <laughs> And then I see another week we talked about um, Wonder Woman. And I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning Black Panther and Wonder Woman because I know you love comics. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's another issue. So mm. there was this conversation. Is she a white woman? Is she a woman of color? She's mm -hmm. dark enough to be a woman of color. She's white enough to be the leading character, right? Yeah. And we also had that conversation. That racial ambiguity, yep. right? Um, and... You know, what's interesting, like going to that Wonder Woman uh, topic, there's also like these conversations is, is she an immigrant? Is she not an immigrant? Is she, uh, is she from this world? Is she not from this world? You know, there's this whole conversation of citizenship, mm -hmm. even within Wonder Woman. And I mm -hmm. think conversations like that are really interesting. Uh, same thing goes with like Superman and a couple of other characters like that. But like Superman and Wonder Woman are the big two that I remember for sure that they get that conversation, you know, get within that conversation a lot, like the immigrant conversation, yes. you know, um, are, you know, since they're not from here, like, especially like Superman, you know, he's not, he's from a different planet. So therefore, you know, and then, but yeah, he embodies American uh, ideals, you know, right. so it's, it's so, it's so interesting. It's like, no, it's but it's also the narrative that the only the only way for you to be welcomed into a country is if you are better than everybody else. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Like to your be health the Superman. is so, right. Like Superman or Wonder Woman, you have to do it all, or be mm -hmm. super strong, or endure every single struggle, mm -hmm. because that's how you earn citizenship. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's all fantastic. This is a paper in the making. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of representation, let's talk about the, the work that you did, uh, you know, during your, your PhD program and master's, yes. because I loved that work. And I remember having <laughs> these conversations with you all the time about it. And um, I, I don't know if you like branched out because I remember for a while you focused primarily on La Rosa de Guadalupe. Oh, yeah. I was right? obsessed with La Rosa de Guadalupe. And that, that telenovela is something else. Like, really, my mom, <laughs> I, every time I, I would hear you talk about it, I kept thinking of my mom, too, because yeah. she loves telenovela. It's so bad, it's good. It, it's one of those. It, it really is. It's one of those. <laughs> and, and then every time I would, I would watch it with her, too, I would look at him like, Mom, how? It doesn't make sense. No. Mijo, mijo, it's, it's, it's La Virgen de Guadalupe. That's why it makes sense. I'm like, oh, mom. Yeah, you no, know? like I watched it for so many years and then I worked for two years on this one show and it was just like, I was, to this day, Anthony, if there's wind, I'm like, ¿Dónde está el milagro? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> you know, there's this one episode I'll never forget though. Like, it was, it was with this baby and all of a sudden, I don't know how this baby escapes his crib and climbs up like this balcony that mm -hmm. they're on top of like this like apartment complex that's super high and this tall building. And then all of a sudden, like the baby's missing and they think that the baby like jumped over the the balcony and all of a sudden there's a blanket and the baby is just sitting on the blanket on. <laughs> I'm like, what? What? It doesn't make sense, mom. Mijo, yeah. it's La Virgen de Guadalupe. Yeah, That's you have and, to faith, Anthony. And I, you know what? I, I, I'm, all, I'm all down for that. You know, I am. You know, like espiritualismo to, to. Yeah. You know, that's that's all it's all about for sure. You know, and um, you know, like in in El Paso, my mom has like so many different things of of uh, La Virgen de Guadalupe. Like, uh -huh. That's she loves La Virgen de Guadalupe. Um, and it has like a strong symbolic, um, yes, like, like it really has like a strong symbolic, uh, tone for her. And it really has like, it just means a lot to her. It, even yeah. be, prior to the fact that she was born, she signed up for like this raffle. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't, and they signed like, I think it was my great grandmother that signed her up for this raffle <clears throat> and, and they put her name right prior yeah. to her being born. Okay. Uh -huh. And they put my mom's name. Right. And so, so my mom ended up winning this thing, even or this giant picture of La Virgen de Guadalupe that she still has to this day. Right. And uh, she's had that with her prior to the fact that she was born. So it's like La Virgen de Guadalupe has really followed her okay. in her life or in like, 
even before she was born. And I just think that's really interesting. So she's really devoted and yeah. uh, is a really devout Virgen de Guadalupe, um, right. you know, uh, supporter's not the word, but... Uh, Believer? Believer, yes. 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 No, I mean, <laughs> just to tell you how I was able to defend my proposal when I did my master's on La Virgen de Guadalupe, I mean, on La Rosa de Guadalupe, yeah. I was like, here's the thing. There are three things that define you as a Mexican. Your love for telenovelas, <laughs> even if you don't admit it in public, your love for soccer, Mm -hmm. And how much and how strongly you feel about La Virgen de Guadalupe. Uh, so in this yeah. project, I have two out of three. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure there was a soccer episode. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there is. I'm I didn't sure. watch one, right? Um, no, but I mean, again, again, as I, it was never about religion. It was never about mm -hmm. spirituality. It was more about the show and yeah. how consistent the narratives were. That, mm -hmm. like, every time there's a problem with the little like teenager or, or, or child mm -hmm. it's always because of the mom mm -hmm. and parent and fathers have no accountability or no influence apparently mm -hmm. um and number two like they were telling you that there aren't miracles but if this is supposed to be a show about i don't know social issues and you're not giving me any guidance in terms of who to call because I don't know if you if you know about this but before La Rosa de Guadalupe we had Mujer Casos de la Vida Real it sounds familiar with Silvia Pinal and she would give you phone numbers or things that you could do if you ended up in a situation of violence but this show did not provide that mm -hmm. so that was also troubling for me wow that's interesting um it, it reminds me of a lot of like uh education entertainment uh that yeah, I think like one of the first examples, like from what I remember teaching, was um, of a Mexican novela, mm -hmm. too. That it, I forgot what it was called off the top of my head, um, but it, it featured a lot of this stuff that you're mentioning right now, too. That they like highlighting like maybe suicide prevention right. or whatever it is. You know, I think it's more more um, apparent now than it was back then, um, but. I remember that one of the first examples of education entertainment was that, that it was a uh, Mexican telenovela. Mm -hmm. And I just think that it's, in, it's really interesting. Like you brought up the three, those three things, right? I'm just like, well, yeah, she's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> going back to our, our very first conversation. It's like, because it's, it's so deeply rooted within the yes. culture. And you it's, know? I mean, it's how you socialize. It's those mundiales that you spend watching with your family and eating and all these things, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I know Mexico is gonna is never gonna win, but as long as Argentina doesn't make it, <laughs> there's always yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, it's funny, and it's you know what I think like like just a little conversation about like football or soccer for a bit, especially like in El Paso, there's this interesting by dual identity that that one has because if you're it's weird because if you it's so it's it's complicated because you can't for those people who are fans of like the u.s soccer team mm -hmm. right and then the, oh, yes. the mexican soccer team yeah. i remember and then like i it's hard to say like i'm a fan of both because i've done it before and uh -huh. people will get on my case no 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 no, no. well you have to either go right. for one or the other i'm like why can't i go for both i'm yeah. i identify as a mexican american i go why not both? You know, I like both are cool. And then, you know, and I'm like, shoot, if I even want to go back down my, my, my roots, I'll even go for Spain. I'll go like that too, because my, yeah. my family comes from Spain, you know? But, and then, yeah. and then, you know, so it's just like, but there's this like interesting, like, I'm trying to find the word for it. Cause it's, it's, it's complex. There's I think it's colonialism. <laughs> yeah it it really isn't <laughs> this idea that you have to prove your loyalty to yeah. only one team yeah it, it, yeah it really is colonial. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> Thank, thanks anna <laughs> yeah i mean the you know and it, yeah it's yeah <laughs> I, I, there are there are no words to describe it like like it's it's real it's just a complex idea of like you have to define yourself under this umbrella mm -hmm. of like 
I like yeah. like nationality because yeah. of a sports team. You know, I'm yeah. like, you know what's happened to me lately? Like when I talk, especially now that we are on quarantine, mm-hmm. um, I've been talking to a lot of people that I haven't talked to in years because we're all mm-hmm. stuck at home, I guess. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but I know we're um, on the phone or anything and they're like, um, so you no longer speak like you're from Chihuahua. And I'm like, I mean, it makes sense. I left eight years ago, <laughs> right? Uh, you kind of lose that. But now I have to prove my Mexicanness to them, even though I spent 27 years there. Mm. So that has been fascinating to me to see that they're like, oh, yeah, it's gringa. And I'm like, okay, all right. I see how it goes. And then in here, I will never be fully American because I was born and raised in Mexico, right? So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I see it. I see it. <laughs> I see the way it is, you know. Yep. It's, you know, I, I mentioned this in an earlier episode too, uh, that before prior to to moving from El Paso to College Station like I never had this problem with accents mm-hmm. but yet as soon as I moved to College Station somebody told me I really like your accent and I was like no tengo acento no I don't have an accent I'm like what are you talking about no like that right and then I tell that to to my family and to my girlfriend and then and then like I think I was FaceTiming with my family that day right and then my little cousin goes wait, do I have an accent? And then, so it turned into this whole conversation. Do we have accents, you know? And um, it's in one of the books I'm reading to go uh, again, again, talking about media representation too. There's a whole section about accents, you know, like there's a whole section about accents and how people with accents are, again, supporting characters, mm-hmm. are, are background characters in comparison to people who can speak a little bit more clearly on whatever their dominant language is, whether it's Spanish, whether it's English or whatever language yeah. the film's in, you know, is going to be the, the leading character. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just interesting how, how these, uh, you know, when you're watching some films and stuff, especially like away from like a critical lens and stuff, you don't put these things into perspective. And then when, once you finally put the, the critical thinking cap on, you, right. know, and you look at it, it's like, wow, that's absolutely right. You know? Yeah. And like you said, colonialism. Yeah. And you don't pay attention. That's absolutely right. Cause I would spend, I mean, my entire childhood was spent in front of a TV mm-hmm. and I never gave it a second thought. And I actually read about this in my, in my dissertation. I'm like, I, I never, like, I knew that all the actresses in telenovelas were thin and had mm-hmm. abundant hair and had all these things. I never gave it, like, you just normalize it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's just the way it is. I guess I'm not pretty enough, period. But you don't deconstruct anything. Like it's Yeah, it's, you, you don't put those things into perspective until someone brings that point to you and, you, and then you reflect on it and you're like, oh my gosh. That is exactly what is happening. That is exactly what is happening. And so, besides La Rosa de Guadalupe, are there other telenovelas that you did research on? Yes, El Señor de los Cielos. That was for four years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, for those who don't know about this telenovela, can you explain a little bit about what it is? Uh, Okay. So, there is an English version. Um, It's, I think, I, I think it's still going on. It's The Lord of the Skies. Okay. And um, so just to give some perspective, this was NBC's most watched television show for both Spanish and English television. Mm. And uh, it broke every single record that there is. And the first TV show in Spanish that wins an Emmy Award for just how many viewers it it has. So I don't know um, if they're in like in season eight or seven because I stopped watching after I finished my dissertation. I didn't (laughs) want anything to do with it anymore. (laughs) Um, I was traumatized, but the idea is, oh, so it started like a regular telenovela, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it then became a series, but it was not intended to be one. I guess they were just experimenting with it because of how big it was. Mm-hmm. And so it, uh, it's the, 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 the story about Amado Carrillo, this huge drug lord in the mm-hmm. 90s, who's mm-hmm. like El Chapo Guzman, but from the 90s, right? Right. And so it was just, I don't know. It was a telenovela, I guess, for mm-hmm. me. But then you get invested because they mix fiction with nonfiction. So they Definitely. start talking about politics and precedents and all these things. So you start to connect the dots. And so it kind of becomes this exercise of history because you're like, I never really 
learned anything about Amado Carrillo, but now they're telling me that the president was involved. I mean, I guess it makes sense. So that's how you get hooked, right? Mm -hmm. But the interesting part is that in telenovelas, I don't know how many telenovelas you've watched, but you only have the, the female uh, villain mm -hmm. and you always hate her and you always want her to die and you always hope she burns in hell because she deserves it, right? But this character was so compelling that when she actually died, I am not kidding you, Anthony. I was eating an elote in my bed. And then she dies. I threw my elote because I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how this? No, like, she cannot be dead. She cannot be dead. She's not dead. Like, for like 10 seconds, my partner at the time was like, slow down. Like, no, no, this is like, this is BS. I'm not watching the show anymore. I was so angry. Here's the thing. The next day, there was an online petition to bring her back. Wow. So when they decided to make it into a series, in season two, she comes back. Ooh. So I'm like, there's a paper. <laughs> what is it about this character that makes it so compelling? And so that's how I ended up doing that. It sounds very Games of Thrones-like, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, game, like very Games of Thrones-like. Oh, yeah. The... Like, I'm looking back at all the telenovelas my mom would watch, and always there's this, like, female villain that it's always, like, like you mentioned, like, you just can't stand her. Like, really? No. It's just, like, yeah. but you know what I find so compelling, though, about the telenovelas is that the villains are more interesting than the the yeah. actual, like, good characters of the, of the telenovelas, you know? And... The, because the villains have like so much more complexity and like the story behind them is just like you know it's like oh you get so invested right. into them right. and you know and thinking about that I'm just like I could see why people would do that yeah no so it started like just looking at the character in the series but then there were so many memes about it and the character for those uh, who are listening is Monica Robles mm. um so they're like if you just google Monica Robles Google will come up with like hundreds of memes. <laughs> and so I remember when I was defending my final dissertation and people were like, but don't you think that this character is just one of those characters that you love to hate? Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, it's more than that. It's like, there is a Monica Robles in every single woman that I've met. I don't know what it is about it, but like I just make the case in the dissertation, right? Like all the themes that came out and how people, women specifically, or women identifying people on the internet were using the meme. Mm -hmm. It was fascinating. Wow. So how would you compare Monica Robles' character to maybe like a, a modern day trope that we see in memes now? What like, do you mean? Like maybe like the Karens or the like those type <laughs> of the characters. Is there is there any like equivalency to that? Or no, is it just so like what I what I found thing? and I and I looked at memes from 2015 to 2018. So for mm -hmm. three years I looked for memes, right? Hundreds mm -hmm. of memes. So of memes and um so the themes that i was able to to identify in all these memes throughout the years both in facebook and twitter mm -hmm. number one some women were using her as a way to encourage each other oh wow it was fascinating so she was a drug dealer she was violent she was mm -hmm. brutal but it was a way for women to say you can be as tough as strong and kick as many butts as men do. Mm. And they were sending that meme to each other or to their friends. Another theme is that they were rooting for characters who were single. Huh? So women who were like, yes, you don't have to conform to this idea that you have to be with a man. If he's toxic, if he abuses you, if he's not, because the character would not take it from the main character, right? Like she would stand her ground for the most part, right? Mm. And then another thing, I don't remember because it's, I mean, I wrote it two years ago, but the third thing that I, I think was very, very intriguing was they were using it to encourage themselves. Okay. So Monica Robles had this personality that I'm a queen, I'm beautiful, I'm here, I'm that, and they would say that in their memes. Mm. So it was like, it's not about the drugs. It's not about the cartel at all. It's about the personality of this woman. And the messages that they're getting from her, it's about validation. And that's powerful, man. The, that female representation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that, that's, whoa. That, yeah. that's, a, that's really cool. That's yeah. really, really neat. Oh. But then also my decolonial self just came in to ruin the party. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but also she's like a drug dealer. Yeah, and yeah. like violent. And like, I, we're seriously not going to look into that. <laughs> and what's interesting is that there's a lot of like, 
telenovelas now. Like, I'm thinking of, like, La, La Reina del Sur. Yeah. That it focuses on a female drug cartel right. uh, leader. You know? That's another one. Like, Edel Castillo, strong, tough, mm -hmm. resilient, mm -hmm. survivor. All of these things, right? But I'm like, have we normalized violence in such a way that it's not even an issue anymore? Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, ah, that's, that's a conversation for another day, for real. <laughs> um, and it's just interesting, like, the how the interpretation of these characters, especially the one that you, like, that you focused on, mm -hmm like it had that impact like it had the the impact that it did whether it's in the form of a meme or a meme or a form of empowerment right. you know i was thinking of the image of like rosie the riveter the the one that the uh, yeah. that symbol like that yeah. and um and i was thinking wow this is in like it, it's just in, interesting because the imagery is totally totally different because one it's like this like hey let's we can do this but it's more like war related and, and yeah. propaganda in that sense while the the image that you're you're analyzing is a drug cartel female leader yeah. you know it's just yeah it's it's mind-boggling it, mm -hmm. it's like wow like yeah and it, oh i just remember a fourth category it was about sexuality because monica robles would use her body to get like power within mm -hmm. the cartels and all these things but women were sending memes about i can sleep with whoever i want you don't get to judge me that is not connected to my worth so these are the kinds of messages that were circulating with her face in it the intersectionality that's involved within these yep. images is just fascinating yeah. it was like okay so it's it's about the non-traditional relationship that she has with mm -hmm. the main character it's about owning her sexuality it's about encouraging herself and it's about being resilient and tough and everything else that's very very interesting that it's coming from the villain mm -hmm. yeah because the the female the female like main characters are leading characters in these telenovelas yeah. like they're very virtuous they're very yeah. um they encapture they encapture that marianismo mm -hmm. you know they encapture that like virgin-esque tone whether they're virgin or not but they they encapsulate that like pure purity you know um and the villain are just not necessarily the complete opposite but they're very dark they're edgy like you mentioned and it's interesting how they lead how these how women are leaning more towards this villainous character in comparison to this like sweet, innocent, yeah. pure character, you know? You know what else? That for eight years we had religious telenovelas, La Rosa de Guadalupe, Como Dice el Dicho, all of these things. Mm -hmm. That we see a huge push from narconovelas. Yes, yes. And it's even like becoming like Americanized now with like Narcos, Narcos Mexico, all these other ones like that. Like even on Netflix, I think some of the ones that you mentioned too are on there. Right. But I, I don't know. It, for me, it's just a question like where I think we grew tired of the church telling us how to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we finally got a Monica Robles, all of us were like, yes, this is a woman that I, I would like as a friend. Or this is the kind of woman that speaks to me or that empowers me, weirdly mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, that's awesome. And weird in, the, in some weird way, you know? Mm -hmm. in, in, in a way, it's kind of weird. But at the same time, like, I understand it, you know? Because people are always seeking some form of empowerment. And if that's the one symbol that they see, like, they, they see themselves in, hey, more power to them, you know? Whether it's a villain or not. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan, like for me, going back to the comics, I'm a huge uh, Mr. Freeze fan. But I, 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 you remember having these conversations with me? Uh, I remember when we would go like walking out of, uh, I think it was, um, I think it was our uh, gender class, gender studies class uh, with Deanna. And oh, okay. we would walk out and we'd catch the bus to go to our cars and we'd be having these conversations. Yes. And uh, like the ones that we're having right now. And I just would remember having these conversations about telenovelas and, you know, me talking about comics for a bit and then how we would find these similar tropes. Because right, I, I can imagine that comics do the same thing for people, for children. They, they do the same thing. They do this, uh, very similar things. And I've heard people, especially like with like Star Wars, that mm -hmm. they do that. They, they're like, I like the villains a lot better than the heroes in, mm -hmm. in this because they're more, more interesting and more complex in comparison to the the heroes that are just like hey here i am you know yeah um and so i just find that fascinating 
you know? Yeah. And even with Batman, like we, we all want to know who's playing the next Joker, right? Because it was yeah. like, oh, forget about Batman. Who's doing the Joker this time? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And then because the Joker has like all these dimensions to him in comparison yeah. to you. We all know Batman. That's why everyone knows Batman. But like when, and everyone knows Joker too, but there's just so many complexities to those two characters that that's why people like, I want more of these two characters. I want more, you know, mm-hmm. in comparison to, you know, I love Superman, but I'm just, I'm going to throw the character into the bus for a bit that, you know, he's, he's, a lot of people are just like, nah, he's too much of a goody two shoes and all this other stuff in comparison to the dark gritty Batman and everything like that. And just like, I get, you know, it's interesting how people really gravitate towards these darker characters. Mm-hmm. And these darker stories, you know, like, like you said, there's that like transition in the renaissance of the cartel novelas, you know, it's, it's it's just really, really, it's, it's, wow. I like, there are no words. Yeah. So, um, so on a final note, yes, I want to ask you one last thing. What are some advice you would give to somebody like me or to (laughs) like, or to, um, I'm, I'm, uh, yes, I am asking for myself. <laughs> um, but, Are you but, asking for a friend? I, I'm asking for a friend. Wink, okay. Wink. Uh, but I'm asking for I'm asking for for the PhD students that are listening, and for the people who are maybe in a master's program thinking about pursuing a PhD. What is some advice that you would give to to these people, whether they're in their master's program, whether they're in their PhD, and want to move forward? Like, what is some advice, Anna, that you would give um, through all the stuff that you've gone through yourself? Well, number one, I don't feel qualified, so don't take any advice from me. But <laughs> if I could have a conversation with a younger version of myself, that's a great way to put it. What I would tell myself is number one, find your identity. Mm. I think that that the more people I know and the more I learn about myself, I think one of my biggest talents is that I've always known who I am and what I like and what I think. And it doesn't mean that I, it doesn't mean that I don't listen to other perspectives. It just means that I have questioned and challenged my own beliefs and values so many times that when somebody else challenges me, I'm like, oh, here's why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, so I have a very clear idea of who I am. Like I am first and foremost, a communicator. I don't care if I'm in academia. I don't care if I am working at a radio show. I don't care if I'm a teacher. I don't care where I am. I always wanted to be a communicator. I wanted to talk to people and listen to people and learn from people. Um, So find your identity. Number two, for me, what has worked is because I know my own identity, I'm not married to any degree. Mm -hmm. So if with this entire pandemic, academia falls and there's no colleges left I can see myself using everything I learned in my PhD to succeed somewhere else Mm -hmm. whether that's in a podcast that I create whether that's in a book that I write whether that's in a gym that I open because you know that I'm into boxing so Mm -hmm. my communication skills will allow me to connect with my clients but whatever it is I don't take my degree for granted but I'm not married to it Mm -hmm. and that gives me a lot of freedom And that eases a lot of my anxiety right now, just thinking about the future of academia. Because I think a lot of people are, especially in academia, we are told that if you don't make it here, then you're worthless. Mm. And I think that's very, very damaging. Mm -hmm. So, and number three, I think we were talking about this as soon as we started talking to each other today. It's be who you are. Mm -hmm. But in order to be who you are, you know, you need to know who you are. And I know I I know that when something doesn't sit well with me, I have to call it out. Mm-hmm. And I know that when something is not clear, I have to ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that when something seems weird, I have to say that it's weird. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that I'm not trying to be sensitive to maybe this is not the time. I know there are not, there are different times for many different things, right? Mm-hmm. But I am who I am. And yes, you will find a lot of resistance. And yes, you will be equally liked and disliked. But ultimately, the people in your life, and that means friends, mentors, employers, the people in your life who will be people who actually value you. Yeah. So that's, that, that would be my advice to myself. That's fantastic advice. Thank I think you. that I think that that's stuff that people do really need to put into perspective because if you understand who you are, what you want to focus on and everything, 
a lot of that stuff comes easier, you know, and if you have that stuff already, like internally, yeah. there's less of that imposter syndrome that comes along the way. Yeah. Because I feel that that's such a big problem within academia that I think that the advice that you give really does help out with reducing that anxiety and reducing that sense of can I make it? Will I make it? Am I good enough? You know, if yeah. you can believe in yourself, you can do anything really. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. Thank you, Anna. I think that was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> so with that being said, with amazing advice left here, you know, that's another episode of Academics and Amigos. I just want to thank Dr. Ana Gomez Praga again for this amazing episode because it was fantastic, Ana. It was great thank to you. see you again. And I'm just really, really happy that with all the stuff that you've been able to do. And I hope that we can see each other sometime yes. after this pandemic's done, you yes. know, one way or another. So And work thank, together. So no, thank you for having me. I'm so happy. And I'm very, 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 very proud of you for allowing yourself to be creative and, and creating this space. So. I wish you nothing but the best. You know that. It's all love, Anna. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you again, Anna, for being a guest this week on Academics on Amigos. It was a true pleasure hanging out with you and talking with you again. Um, hopefully we can meet up again sometime soon like we talked about. For more on Anna, be sure to check out her Instagram and Twitter page, which uh, will be in the description below. For more on Academics on Amigos, follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to check out this episode and past episodes on www.arramirez.com slash academics and amigos. So until next time, my friends, take care of yourself, stay safe, and most of all, be cool and stay awesome.